electrical vibrational energy pulsing just really intense energy and they have this like aspect of them that is sinister it's like it's like their basic nature it's really strange to remote view some things that have the basic nature of being sinister and it's a normal thing to be Since 1970, more than 16,000 people have disappeared from Alaska, with some putting that number at 20,000. This is a massive number for such a sparsely populated state. It's over double the national average. Is it just the volatile weather in Alaska and hard living conditions causing this, or is there something more nefarious going on? Alaska's paranormal activity ranges from sightings in the sky to the strangest creatures known passed down verbally over generations in the Inuit culture. The sightings and stories of these strange beings span from Greenland on the far east coast all the way to Alaska. Even more curious than that, the description of these beings seem to have strange, identical counterparts all across the world. How could a culture so far removed be seeing things that we have names for in other parts of the world? Is there any evidence that these creatures of myth could be real? Get ready to have your world turned upside down by the end of this episode. John, how you doing? I'm doing good. This is a weird one. This Yeah, this is a weird one. Um, not only do does the Inuit uh, and just Alaskan native cultures have the strangest accounts of 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 beings, creatures, animals, whatever you want to call them, uh, but you know we've got we've just got like beings I've never even heard of anywhere. I mean, right. like there there is this one thing called the Aklut, which is a half wolf, half orca that you know people are finding wolf tracks leading to the ocean and if you see those you know it's one of these things um what do you think about this yeah i mean you, okay i this get, goes into a really weird area cuz it it's also goes into nanook right oh yeah so nanook so, is uh, is the master like the king of bears up there right right the pol of polar bears rather Right, right. So, I mean, there's like all sorts of stories of Nanook. I think you know some of those stories. Um, but Nanook was uh, what some being, some creature that would also sometimes help humans. I can't recall. Like sometimes. Yeah, basically, he decided if hunters deserved success in finding and hunting bears and punished violations of hunting taboos. Right, exactly. Right. So most most people out there believe that Nanook and Aklut and these types of creatures are um, they're mythological trying to explain something that they perceive in their environment, turning it into a story. And, and mythology is really interesting. you know some <clears throat> some of these myths do come from a way to explain the environment in a way that's kind of exciting so that the stories are remembered through time because it's, it's verbal word of mouth storytelling. And there's, but there's no like subtext to say things like, Hey, you know, this is about the sun and the sun rising and falling every day, but we've just put it in the context of 
gods or something, right? A story, yeah, right. A story, right? And then you have the myths that are, well, they're specifically referring to some creature or some type of event that uh, is, is, is a real thing, especially when you get to the more bizarre ones. It's actually what I'm finding is that the more bizarre and darker ones are real, like they're real creatures. Yeah, hard to make that up. Right, right. It's hard to make that up. But then you have this whole other category. And I don't think this category is really known about by people in general because it gets very esoteric. But we see this with remote viewing on some of them. So in the case of Aklut and Nanook, what we have here specifically is what the collective conscious consciousness of the people has created. It's a oh. fully real thing, but it's been created by a, a group of people. And, and this is basically created by seeing something then generating the idea of what this thing is over time so that a whole population of people believe in its existence. And then from there, this gives the power of creation to a life form that's both etheric and 3D at the same time, which can become completely autonomous of the creators. And you have words for these things like a tulpa or an egregore or a god form, which this, well, like Nanook falls into the category of a god form. It's a culturally created autonomous being, right? Then you have uh, Aklut, which is more of an egregore which again, it's the same thing. It's just like of a lesser uh, status or lesser kind of um, power almost. Power, right? Yeah. And so that's what we see with, with at least these two is that this was originally created by the humans. And, and people just don't understand how powerful group consciousness is and what groups think. So when you have like the whole world, the United States, people who think in terms of dark entities invading the planet, you create that because your imagination, what you're told, what you begin to concoct in your mind creates the thing We're we're creators. Us humans are creators. And that is a, a, a powerful, good, and also very dangerous thing when we don't understand it. And I don't even know if the native the Inuit people understand what they have created with their group consciousness, but it is a fully real thing now, a hundred percent real. That would be much like what people would think about as a cryptid now, right? Well, let's go see if we can wow. find this thing when it was originally created as a, as like a tulpa or a God form. You're blowing my mind right now because in Asian culture, this is a widely known concept. This is not, this is not something that's, that's bizarre or strange when a group of, of humans have worshipped something enough, it creates an actual powerful being that people have interactions with. Exactly. And there are, there are certain worshipped, I guess you could call them deities that have been created over there. Like this one called uh, Guang Gong, which is this like money god. Because, you know, everybody wants to make more money. So they start worshipping this thing to have more benefits for their family and all of this stuff. And they literally have, you know, uh, areas in their homes where they're where they're worshiping these things, these little statues of these things that look like, you know, whatever. And, you know, some Chinese ancient soldier 
that is supposedly Guang Gong that's going to give them money. Uh, you know, but you don't know when you're worshiping these things what you have to exchange in order to get that money. And so people will often get money and then disasters strike their their families and they're like, they don't know what's going on. So they start worshiping it more, which is even crazier, right? Right, right. Well, you know, that's the whole thing behind the tulpa, at least what humans focus on with a tulpa is that you can create a tulpa, but eventually that tulpa will try to kill you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's totally nuts. Um, right. And gosh, I mean, we're just getting started in this episode, but we're going to be getting back into some of this bizarre stuff too. But before we do, there's some really strange claims of actual previous inhabitants of the land that we need to cover because it it mixes with all kinds of things, including giants and little people and all kinds of stuff. Now, the tunit were reportedly the first inhabitants of the Alaskan lands. They're apparently taller and stronger than the Inuit. They can carry, you know, it's said that they can carry a seal on it on their back. They're so they're so strong. Seals are can be like five or six hundred pounds, right? That they can outrun caribou. Now they were also known as another name, the the this name called the Dorset people. What makes this interesting is that there have been 169 ancient human specimens found of the Dorset or the Tunit people. Now, you have some sources saying that they were much taller. Uh, some seem, you know, basically to say that they're much taller, they're much thicker. And some say that they're short and thick or the same size. And they're just much thicker and broader than a normal human. But either way, they were they were pretty strong people. Now, these people who lived in the North before the Inuit, uh, they spoke very simple languages, uh, sometimes referred to as kutak or even baby talk. So it was almost like a super simple form of language. Now these Tunit were apparently very peaceful people, just minded their own business, uh, and they preferred to be kind of left alone. Artifacts of the Tunit can be found all over the North. Now, um, if you pissed them off, they became a pretty bad enemy to have because they were so strong, but generally they just tried to stay away from, from humans. Um, and if you were trying to speak to them, you had to speak much simpler and slower, uh, and not use big words in order to communicate with them. Right. Yeah. There was like, I think I read one story where as if, if you made them mad or hurt one of them, they would tell you to go away, go away. Pacifist. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, we were I mean, we did a did a look into that um these people and it, a lot of people would 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 claim them to be giants but they don't really know. Like what we got was that they they weren't necessarily giant people. They were just very broad. They were like they were they were wide, very wide. Didn't necessarily get them as being um much taller, like much shorter. I would wide? say, like, if anything, they'd be a little shorter. Okay, so, but wide like the Maori are wide, or wide like in a way that we haven't really seen? Wide like in a way that we haven't really seen, really? right? Um, and and incredibly strong and very private and, and still in existence, still around. It's just that, like, they don't, they just don't get involved with what others are doing. So it's kind of like a recluse 
they were sort of like recluse race of humans. And, you know, when you get to the North again, it's like, it's like, there's so much land, like just unbelievable amounts of land that, that you won't find another human in which, in which these beings, people ish things will live, but they, they weren't like paranormal. They weren't dimensional. They didn't seem to have a link to the past of giants in general. So I don't know, like, I don't know where they came from. Ultimately, they, they're, they're very 3d. They weren't like traversing dimensions or anything like that. They right. just seem to be a race, some kind of race of people up there. Really interesting. Yeah. So they apparently disappeared from history because, uh, as the, the Inuit and the natives started to, um, kind of discover new hunting ground instead of the, um, the Tunit people fighting for that hunting ground, they would just move. It would just move further away. And just like that, it is said in this culture that they disappeared from history. So it's very probable that they just still live in places that are harder to get to and that most people don't, you know, don't live in. Okay, yeah. And and now there's another race that reportedly lived up there. And this is where it starts to get how to downright bizarre to me. Because I don't know how how the Nazis could pop up in more of our episodes just randomly. Now, this group is called the Thule that survived where the Tunit basically disappeared from history. And what's honestly most amazing is that they were using a f iron for tools and hunting in Alaska. They practiced a process called epimetallurgy that made the metal stronger harder and had more efficient points. They're believed to have had militias. They wore Chinese style slat armor made from animal bones, and they may have even developed and designed a bow and arrow that came from Mongolian influences. Huh? That's interesting. I mean, okay. So I iron iron that dude. There were some other, okay, so there was, there was another story like that, but it was on the more European side where, the, what was it? It was a Nordic group. I think it was, and I'm not sure if you brought this up or not uh, in the past. It might've been you or it could have been Chinese that there was a group of people, there were a group of people who had much stronger metal than everyone else right? Because they knew how to forge it in a different way. Um, and, and you do find that, like you will find that in, in history where another culture has metal that they know how to form in a different way that makes it much stronger that they're able to defeat enemies. So I wonder, you got to wonder if, if, if that group received that, if it came from the Vikings, which I think that story comes out of the Vikings, I am not a hundred percent sure. Then you know, there is evidence of the Vikings coming across um, uh, way, way, way before Columbus um, that, well, they could have gotten it from them. Right. Yeah. And we, I mean, really, we just, we just don't know. But Or it could have been the Vikings. They're called Thule, right? Yeah. But okay, Weird. this is where it kind of gets crazy because in, in Germany, there was a mm, society called the Thule Jeselschaft. It was the Thule Society. When 
I heard that the name of them was called the Thule. Immediately, I was like, okay, that's super weird because the Thule Society was an occult society within, you know, the the Nazi Germany era. All right. Now, the lore is that the Thule was a land located by Greco-Roman geographers and the furthest north often displayed as Iceland. Hmm. The Ultima Thule is also mentioned by the Roman poet Virgil in his pastoral poems called the Georgics. Okay, although originally Thule is probably, um, could have been, we don't know, the name for Scandinavia, basically. Right. He kind of uses it more as a, uh, you know, an expression for the edge of the known world. Um, and his mention, you know, could be taken as just a reference to Scandinavia. Now, they identified Ultima Thule, um, said by Nazi mystics to be the capital of ancient hyper hyperborea, which was a lost ancient landmass in the extreme north near Greenland or Iceland, which basically places us where the Thule was thriving. This group that we're talking about, right? And these ideas derived from uh, earlier speculation by different uh, researchers and stuff that a lost landmass had once existed in the Atlantic. Atlantis? I don't know. And that it was the home of an Aryan race, a theory that was supported by reference to the distribution of, you know, the swastika or Srivatsa motifs. Um, now, also interesting is this was identified with Plato's Atlantis, a theory further developed by Helena Blavatsky, an occultist during the second part of the 19th century, who it is claimed that Hitler used to sleep next to her book every night. And this right. is where most of his Aryan race kind of came up. But now we've got an actual Thule people traveling around with advanced metal, right? And we know that the Nazis were going over to Tibet to look for the Aryan race that had basically hidden itself in the tunnels below the Himalayas. Right. Right. That's crazy. That's a crazy connection there. <sighs> yeah. I, I don't know what to make of that. That's I don't either. It kind of blew my mind though, because it's like, okay, now we've got a bizarre, like I also, why are people not putting this together as well? Right. It's just like, there's more, there's more handles here to, to hold on to than I think people realize. Right. You know, right. But anyway, I, I found that completely fascinating, especially when it gets to the metal. So how it was explained that the Thule disappeared is that they had less and less places to develop their iron. They weren't finding iron in those areas. So they they moved and migrated to places where they could create the iron that they were using for all of their tools. And also it said that some um, some pandemics basically wiped a bunch of these folks out. Not ever having these types of illnesses or influenzas, you know, in their areas, they just kind of like passed away due to them, right. you know? Right. Now right. also, you know, we're talking about these Tunit people being giants and we've got in Inuit culture, a lot of, a lot of references to giants, which they, they feel like their traces are still visible on earth. And in, in their culture, they're called the Inek Pasaduit. I may have pronounced that wrong. Okay, now, um, they say that some of these are malevolent, some of them are gentle, 
and that some of them were so big that they would mistake polar bears for foxes and whales for seals, <laughs> like massive beings, right? Right. Yeah, and it seems like the males are larger and less common than the females. Like you're much more likely to see a female um, and very little is known about the males. And perhaps that's because no one has ever survived to talk about them. Like the giants are just taking them out. Yeah, right. That's the, that's, I mean, that's a pretty common story. What was that one story with Magellan? Uh, who the claim was that there was, he found a race of giant people down in, in Argentina down in the tundra or something living down there. And he captured one put in a cage on a ship and tried to bring it back, <clears throat> tried to trick them. They were also kind of simplistic. They didn't understand a lot of things that Magellan had with him. But yeah, I think it's interesting that story coming from Magellan, whom we idolize to a degree as being a great explorer. Um, yeah, and why would he lie about that? Right. Why would he lie? Who knows? I mean, I don't think he did because you have, he, you have other cultures throughout the world that talk about the giants and like, then like when we get to the giant stories coming from native cultures across the planet, um, the, in that sort of mythology construct. Okay. So it's taken as a myth, right? It's taken a myth, as a myth by modern that in that construct falls into the area where there are other beings that are not created by the collective consciousness. Um, that come from somewhere else or came from somewhere else or were here beforehand. And the giants were one of those. The giants that have been found all over the place are one of those races that used to be here. So, yeah, you know, it's like, you know, when, when I hear the stories of giants coming out of Alaska, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it if they were shown. going to be anywhere, be the easiest place to to survive, I guess, right? And to, and to do your do your thing, really. You're not going to get interfered with. I imagine if the military found out about any giants, they would just go wipe them out right away. Yeah, it's no. I like we. What are the stories we hear today about giants? We hear that like coming out of Afghanistan and the military going after giants in caves, red-haired giants and whatnot. I have no idea about those stories, um, whether those stories are true or not. Um, so far. Like I haven't found any stories of modern that that's like pan out. Um, yeah, me either. Yeah, it's it's like that is those things seem to be mostly gone or somewhere else. Like, what if they're underground? Like people claim. I don't know. I really don't know. Yeah, the, the, because there's nothing solid to task on. Actually, yeah. Unless you're, for those of you at home that are listening right now, if you want to hear some actual, legit crazy information about giants watch our malta series because we go through oh man um all kinds of stuff in that series and 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 that series from start to finish just kept getting crazier and crazier um the other thing is that i can tell you is that i have a, a good friend who is like a navy seal uh, well i wouldn't say he's a good friend but he's definitely a friend he's a, he's a friend he's a navy seal and i asked him specifically about that giant in like the giant situation in Afghanistan where a bunch of like team guys encountered them and took one of them out. And he was like, it couldn't have happened. And I was like, why not? He was like, because I would have heard about it. Guys, guys talk. Like if they saw something like that, they all would have talked. We all would have known about it. And he's like, I haven't heard anything about it. 
and I'm in touch with all of these guys. He's like, I just don't think it happened. And I was like, that makes sense. You know? Yeah, there's probably like a, a gossip line behind the classified information. Uh, oh, there is. People who work in classified information. There's like a gossip section. <laughs> the water. I've asked section. him. I've asked him point blank questions on so many things. And the answers that he give me back are usually like. I mean, they're different than stuff that you and I would think, but they seem really, really super reasonable. Right. Right. Like if you ask him about like three letter agencies and stuff and he'll be like, I can tell you some stories about that. And he'll tell you stories and you'll be like, you know, you'll just kind of like it, it'd be something that you would expect that. But not necessarily as like James Bondy as people, I think, think all the time. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So anyway, they, you know, these, some elders warned that uh, female giants will grab people and carry them away in their uh, amatooks, which, you know, those basically the uh, bags that they have. And if you ever see a giant, you should crouch down, remain very still, and your best chance of escape is actually to just avoid being seen. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, makes sense. All right. Now, um, before we get into some really, really crazy stuff that we found, there's a few other stuff that I want to talk about that's just really bizarre here that seem to match descriptions in other areas. And one is this thing called Adlet or another thing called an Amarok. And the Adlet basically are a race of people said to have the lower body of dogs and the upper body of humans. Like a werewolf. Typically, they believed to be the offspring of an Inuit woman and a dog brought about through an unnatural mating. It's like a dog um, man? It's, it's something like that. Or like some type of werewolf, dog man thing. Um, That's weird. But, it, so, but, it, but yeah. it has the body, it has the upper body of a human? Well, huh. think about it. When you think of what the descriptions of dog man, right? You have the upper body that's more human, like even with fingers and hands, but then the lower body is more canine, but they're right. still on two legs. Right. right. So could be. Right. Wonder if um, they, um, they fight with Bigfoot up there. Have you heard those stories like where dog man is fighting Bigfoot? I mean, there's, there's kind of a few of those things. It makes me wonder. Um, you have like, what seems to be more predominance of Bigfoot up there rather than dog man in general, which could be because Bigfoot chases him out. I know like you, you ever know that researcher who, who that researcher was called JC Johnson, JC Johnson. He was like four corners, uh, four corners area. Um, he the four corners area is like New Mexico, um, Arizona, Arizona. Colorado, uh, in Utah. Right. And, um, he, he did, uh, he used to be, he used to run crypto four corners, but I think he died a couple of years ago. He mm. investigated this one site though in Minnesota. Um, and he called it the Northwoods Lycans and it was a man's property where it was like literally divided in half between Bigfoot and Dogman. And they would kind of have this sort of these clashes with each other on the guy's property, like for territory, like the, the Bigfoot carved out one side, Dogman carved out another. And they had this sort of like working truce, but sometimes get into fights. And so JC Johnson had gone up there to investigate it, which was actually quite fascinating. And that whole idea about 
um, Bigfoot chasing out dogmen. Like in the Pacific Northwest, especially in my region, you don't have a ton of stories about dogman. You have way more stories about Bigfoot in general. And so it's an interesting thing. And you've got to wonder, like, is this truly the case when it comes to these two, if they're in competition? Anyway, I don't know why I went off on that. The story just like what you're talking about, like, because you don't hear a lot of stories about dogman up in Alaska. And you wonder if it's so that the Bigfoot chase it out, especially the very big ones. Yeah. And, and there's also this Amarok figure, which is like a giant wolf, like a mat. And I don't know if this is a dire wolf or if it's again, if this is some kind of werewolf or, or dogman, wolfman thing, you know, um, but they, it's in their culture. I mean, they, they talk about this as, and I'm not sure again, like, is this more of a Tulpa thing or did they try to create a story around something that they were seeing because it's the only thing like, oh, you know, some woman must have given birth to this because how could it be exactly between a human and a wolf? Right. You know, now, and if you thought that was all, I found that we've got some very, very bizarre claims of things that seem to be exactly like skinwalkers. There's something called a Turingat or a Turingate, where these are spirits that inhabit the frozen tundra caught between realms of living and dead. And they possess these otherworldly powers. And these spirits are known to be very unpredictable. They appear in howling winds and disappear just as quickly. They're malevolent. They enjoy tormenting humans, according to some claims. Um, they have the ability to manipulate elements. Inuit people control the Turingat or the Turingate with their shamans. And they use their powers for protection or even divine justice by turning these things on to things hmm. that where there needs to be justice had right now shamans and according to their legends and lore the shamans and turn guts have long battled in their uh you know i guess they, they seek to subdue the turn guts and bring peace to their people now What's weird is these creatures can shape shift, allowing them to appear both as animals or humans and can take on a variety of forms and can be called upon by shamans, which sound exactly like skinwalkers right. in the native culture. Right. It sounds it sounds like a tulpa as well. And it's it, it really sounds like a tulpa like that's. But then you have the whole skinwalker thing that is a practice that shamans will go into. You just got to, you've got to wonder how much of this is the uh, consciousness, conscious creation of an, uh, another being um, that traverses, will exist mostly in the a different dimension. I don't know if I want to say fourth, but, um, and is able to influence the third. Um, yeah, that's kind of a curious thing um, because, you know, in the shamanic realm, you're always dealing with that kind of stuff that, that other dimensional realm thing in order to influence the third dimensional realm. So honestly, it's like, it's like these categories. It's like, I think this is probably in the Tulpa category. Yeah. You know, it's hard to know what came first, the spirit or, or the, yeah. like the humans putting their mind on this stuff because over on the East coast of, of Canada, around Newfoundland and Labrador, 
there is a range of mountains called the Torngat Mountains, which are apparently named after this. They're they're known as the Devil's Mountain, and they're said to be the home of these spirits. You and I have talked about like the Superstition Mountains, and right. oftentimes these things are named these things for a reason, you know? Right, it's so just, that it, might pull it out of the Tulpa category and just this other race of strange beings. Right. Huh. Yeah, that's just super weird. And then also there's this thing called the Taraxuit, which are known as by the Inuits as shadow people. And we've heard of shadow people all around the world. I mean, people talking about these things. They're, you know, apparently live in a world uh, like our own, but their world, however, is beyond our senses. This is what they say. They're almost never seen, but sometimes when conditions are right, the Tarak suit can can be heard. Um, what's strange is it sounds like they're like in the upside down or something, you know, like yeah. some of these things. Well, that's that that the astral plane that is like um, an exact but different, slightly different rendition of ours. Um, yeah. The, there is that. It's like when you go astral travel, there's like your room, but things are moved around a little bit differently. And mm. shadow people are, are there in that place. It's right. like another dimension. Yeah, and they, they say um, that, that these things will disappear into the ground and vanish. Um, and that some Inuit have crossed over into this shadow world, but few have ever returned to tell us what it's like. Hmm. Yeah, that's the yeah. upside down. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. It's like one of those things. It's like a lot of people always ask me like, oh, if you see a dimensional portal, would you enter it? And I'm like, no, <laughs> like I would have you have no idea knowing whether or not you'd ever be able to come back. I mean, that's just a, even if you stuck your head in there and it looked amazing, you could get stuck in a realm that you're not supposed to end up in. And it's a it's a dangerous thing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Good advice that, well, I mean, that's, that's the thing of this is that people often think of these things in such black and white terms, right? Where it's only one place, but there's all these different places we've seen with remote viewing and all the shows that we've talked about this stuff, like different ones lead to different places. Most all of the time, the ones that do come back, were really praying to get back, even if they were in another really nice place. It's just is so different, but it's, 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 it's not the same thing. And sometimes even on some of them, people just get lost in some sort of in-between space that we've seen, like where they're just in some kind of energetic washing machine forever. So, yeah. Energetic washing machine. Yeah. Oh, man. That's good. All right. So finally, um, this some just really, really bizarre claims of vampire-like creatures. Now, this this one we're about to cover has to be the strangest, and I was pretty shocked to hear your response on this. It's called the Kalupalik. Now, when there's many of them, I guess they're it's pronounced Kalupalit. Now, these are kind of similar to these things called kappa from Japanese folklore, hmm. or maybe even more distantly related to the siren or the mermaid. 
Now, these are described as human-like beings having greenish skin with long hair, webbed fingers, and very long fingernails. It lives in the sea under the ice. This thing hums to entice children to come closer to the water and wears an amatic, which is a parka worn by Inuit women, to hold a child against the back and a built-in baby pouch just below the hood. That's what this thing is, right? So it's kind of like a a crackhead mermaid wearing a parka right. that basically... So it sounds totally made up, you know? Right. I mean, parents and elders would basically... You can imagine them telling this story to children, basically don't go too close to the ice. And they'd see these kids just fall into the ice and it was the Kalup Palik that took them. Right, right? it's like the boogeyman. Go yeah, to sleep, otherwise like the boogeyman's gonna get you. Except in my mom's case, it was always the mummy. The mummy will get you. Yeah, yeah, right. And this is where it gets a little bit darker, though, is that some of these legends refer to the Kalupalit as immortal, which in order to sustain their immortality, they need to basically feed on children, which gives them this never-ending life. Now, it depends on children to keep them young, to keep their skin green and their hair like special that's what that's literally special. quote unquote special i don't know what that means <clears throat> with a beautiful sheen yeah something like this now they're oh. they're supposedly half human and half sea creature um and as you know i heard one interesting account it was like this animation that the inuits made for their children to teach them about this thing they say as you grow old she grows younger and her eyes never blink, watching always for the next child to show up at shore. Yeah, that's crazy. I well, I just would have thought this. So I want to kind of want to know what you think. But hearing this whole thing at first, I was like, this is just some made up thing because there, there needs to be some kind of explanation for why these kids are, are falling into the ice. Right. But when it got to the part where they were being very specific about it, feeding on children. Some of them are taking the child back to its cave to freeze them for eternity or to just for food later on. Um, this is really, really weird. Like that's a very specific thing to make up is what I'm trying to say, you know? Right. Right. Well, it's like uh, some of the stuff that we look at, we have to like try to understand whether it is like the boogeyman. I mean, you know, I don't know if the boogeyman is a good reference point, but but it is in in regard to it's a story to get kids to do something that you know, they don't want to do. Otherwise, this is going to get you, um, which falls into the myth myth category. But then you have, you know, the category of, uh, well, another realm interacting like the shadow people, another realm interacting with our realm where you have. And we've seen this over and over. We talked about this quite a bit in different areas where you have these things that sort of come through into our realm, hang out and do things in our realm and, and actually feed off of things here. And they go back to sort of this in-between realm where you can't see them. And so we see these things as being from that other realm and as not a Topa-ish type character, not as a myth to keep kids away from the breaking ice, which is dangerous, you know, but used for that purpose, but as something fully real, something fully defined in a physical and a paraphysical sense. And what we see is like these things, they, they seem to like 
to, to go around areas where there's habitation, um, especially if it comes right up to the water. And they like to have this, like there's this, there's this aspect of uh, chaos that they like, which has to do with like broken ice fields. And it has to do with like structures and activity close to shore. And so they will, it seems to be that they'll hang around in those areas. And they're typically in the water and underneath, like underneath the water. And what we see is this sort of like um, energetic vortex type situation that they come out of, that they will come out of. So it's not like they spend all their time in the physical. They're not just a purely physical thing. And then they, um, they have this sort of electrical electrical vibrational energy pulsing, just really intense energy. And they have this like aspect of them that is sinister. It's like, it's like their basic nature. It's really strange to remote view some things that have the basic nature of being sinister. And it's a normal thing to be Um, like, like, like I'm going to suck the blood out of you. And I think it's funny and I like it. And I also like need it. It's a weird vibration. It's a very weird vibration. And and we see that with some of these things. I think that um, sort of information that we have is that it's got slightly bigger eyes than what people have portrayed it as. Um, And what we see is that it, it's like, actually this was referred to in one of the sessions where a remote viewer was like, reminded obviously the remote viewers are blind they don't know that they're viewing this but the remote viewer was reminded of that one image of the beast from seven shoots which was a dog man carrying so somebody took a photograph of what appears to be a dog man carrying like a little dog or Mm. a little creature presumably to eat it later on it's a very disconcerting photograph but yeah that was referred to in some of the data as it's like that kind of a situation because these beings will come up and grab something and, and carry it away, right? And be holding it and carrying it away, much like that photograph, which is very, very, very creepy. Very creepy. So yeah, I'd say these these beings are something that traverse dimensions back and forth in order to sustain themselves. You know what's strange is that this is not the only instance of a creature in Inuit culture that feeds on humans. There's also something called the Tamatuyuk, which is some type of vampire that's apparently takes human form to gain the trust of the baby. And specifically, it said that it kills it by piercing its head with a needle or a straw and then sucking the blood. That's crazy. So it, it gains the trust of a baby. That's very bizarre. It's like some it's like some part of its sinister plan to gain the trust. Uh, how but it's a vampire. So yeah, it's, it's like, a vampire. I mean, because really a baby weird. is helpless. Like, why would you need to gain the trust of a baby before sucking its brains out with a straw? I don't know. Like, I really don't know. You don't have to do that to a human with a gun. Yeah but not a baby, a baby you just take. So that's a bizarre story. Yeah. And then, and then there's this, it's called a Mahaha and it's called that because this thing is a, like a psychotically laughing, evil, smiling, long fingernailed being, you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, and they say that, you know, it terrorized parts of the Arctic long ago. 
Right. It's thin, sinewy. It's like an ice blue in color, cold to the touch being. And the Mahaha's right. eyes are white and piercing, and they peer through the long, stringy hair that hangs over its face. It's extremely strong and is always seen barefooted and almost naked. Creeps up on unsuspecting Inuits. When it gets close enough, this is super weird. And this this part of it, this lore, makes me think, okay, this entire thing is fake. But here it is. When it gets close enough, the Mahaha delights in tickling its victims to death with its sharp, vicious fingernails attached to its long, bony fingers. I'm telling tickling you, like, like when, when we remote view these things, they're very stable in their maniacalness, is all I can say. It's like... If you remote view a human who who is who does this kind of stuff, who's just psychotic, if you remote view them, they're they're extremely unstable, like going back and forth, jumping around mentally, emotionally, all this stuff. When we remote view these things, they're extremely stable in their maniacal attitudes, in their just crazed psychoticness, extremely stable in that, that it is their psychology that it is their psychology. So while it sounds crazy to us, when you remote view these things, hey, that's just like, that's like- Their the everyday thing. life. Yeah, yeah, everyday life for them. And 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 the Mahaha, to me, seems to be a um, like a land rendition of the Kalupulut being, right? That mm. takes, snatches kids from under the ice. It seems to be like very much related to that thing. Yeah, because it was- Doing the same stuff, look the same way, have the same energy. It has this like very etheric zappiness to it energetically, like electrical vibration. Not fun to view. Yeah, that doesn't sound fun to view at all. <laughs> That's crazy. So and now we've got like uh, sea spirits and land spirits that are stalking things that don't actually, I mean, as far as we know, these are very different from the things that we hear about in the woods here in the forests of North America, where you've got these things called rakes or wendigos um, that the natives called them. We've got something else that's in the tundra that's unexplainable. Yeah, something totally different. Um, it, I mean, this just could be like because there's just not a lot of humans up there. It hasn't disturbed entry points for this kind of stuff. In, I mean... You know, I mean, it just sounds insane to most people out there, but our world is just, we have so many entry and exit points that other beings can come through. And all of the anomalous things that people see is not just something that happens in their head. So I think up there, it's just, you know, you, you're out in the woods, wilderness, and, and these have not been disturbed. So you have things coming through a lot of geomagnetic anomalies up there as well. You know, when you get to uh, Alaska and that just Canada up there, lots of geomagnetic anomalies like the Alaska Triangle and all the strange compass deviations that happen up there. And that correlated with people disappearing and strange phenomena happening as well as different cryptids that have been spoken about by the native population over millennia. It's, it's, it's all related. All of it's related. We're talking about genuinely uncharted territory here, like yeah. the most uncharted territory in the entire world being up in the northern areas. You know, I've heard of 
uh, Alaskan tales of of little people living up in the in the north as well. Just people like tons of claims of people that are out doing something, fishing, whatever it is. They're out hunting and they're seeing groups of of beings that are like much shorter and stockier than humans with bigger heads, just like the Lord of the Rings dwarves basically out there. And that, you know, they'll see them and then these little beings will become aware of them. Two people will see it. They'll nudge their other buddy and they go look back and there's nothing there. Yeah. Because they're using some kind of, I don't know, it's some kind of ability. Fae. You know, the fae, the yeah. fae realm, you know, like uh, trolls, leprechauns, fairies, that kind of I, thing. I've heard we are going to need to get into this little people um, uh, lore because I've heard more stories from the northern area than any other place, I think, which is really strange. Like, I guess they disappeared up there, but almost entirely, whether it be, you know, Ireland or Scotland or wherever, or even out here, it's always said that these things have supernormal abilities and that's how, or supernatural abilities. And that's how they're able to hide themselves, disguise themselves, disguise themselves and, and, and hide. Right. Well, that, I mean, that's like, that is remote viewing that stuff. I mean, that's the whole thing of it is that they do exist in a slightly off realm from ours and have the ability to come through it. When you exist in that slightly off realm, there's a different type of power that you have that you bring into this realm that appear to be super normal abilities. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, you guys at home, uh, we covered a lot of the most interesting creatures that we found in Alaska. We want to know what you guys think. So please leave us a comment below and let us know if this was helpful in trying to understand some of these strange cryptids in the Northern territories, especially that of Alaska. And uh, John, thanks so much for being here today. And if you guys have other questions or you want us to specifically look into certain things, definitely remember to leave us a comment below. We'll work it into you know, our current list of things that we're covering. Uh, and yeah, uh, we hope you guys thought this episode was as out of this world as we did. We'll talk to you soon.